Hey everyone, welcome back to the Brave Parenting Podcast. Kelly here, and today I have what I think is a very timely and necessary episode for all of us parents getting ready to send kids back to school here for the 21-22 school year, especially if you are sending your kids into public school, and even more so as Christian parents, sending kids to public school with smartphones. So today we're going to talk about phones in the classroom and what that looks like. And my guest today, I'm actually quite fond of him, and I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. This is his premiere here on the Brave Parenting Podcast, even though I think he's listened to every single podcast with more precise intricacy than anyone else. It is Ryan Newcomb, who is my husband. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me here. Well, you're welcome. So I'm having Ryan, my husband, here on the show with me today because he is a high school teacher in the public school system here where we live in Texas. And of course, as we have a constant conversation about technology and education and kids and teens and what that is always looking like, we really have a lot to say. Well, you have a lot to say about what it looks like to have smartphones in the classroom. So as we get started, you know, a lot of people know about me, but tell me a little bit, tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself and your career, or shall I say careers? Well, my name is Ryan, and I am your husband, and I'm (laughs) also the father of seven adopted children. And I got into education. This is my third year teaching in public school, and I first decided to become an educator looking at the direction of our kids' education, looking at education in general. And I just felt like God was really telling me or calling me to change careers into education. Before that, I was a computer programmer for 18 years, uh, working primarily in web development, social media marketing, online marketing, app development, and pretty much all things computer related. And technically prior to that, I was actually a firefighter and paramedic for the city of Houston. So did you go to school to be a computer programmer? I did not. (laughs) I went to school with a primary focus on electrical engineering, but realized quickly I did not want to be an engineer. I wanted to be doing something more computer-related, more programming-related. And at the time, I didn't know what that looked like. So I ended up getting a degree in psychology because I was also very interested in people, relationships, and the interactions between people. So I pursued a degree in psychology and uh, then decided that that wasn't something I wanted to go on to get a master's or a PhD in. So what made you interested in computers and in the programming aspect? It's always been a part of my life, uh, just growing up with technology. My father was in the industry, and then just growing up, working for my father, putting together circuit boards, and just being in that industry my whole life, I just knew it was something that, it was something always I wanted to do. So you like technology. I love technology. You do. <laughs> so it's not all bad, right? We don't. <laughs> it's not. Well, as we've said on other podcasts, is we definitely don't hate media and technology. We love Jesus more, right? But it is something that you know very well and um, have had a long career in. So, But now you're teaching. So now you're in the classroom. And what are you teaching? Currently, I am teaching math at the high school level, specifically geometry and algebra too. All right. So. What does learning, I know that you're a learner, naturally you love learning. So what does learning look like, maybe even in comparison to yourself as a learner, what does learning look like right now um, for teens in high school? 
Well, learning and education in general has changed dramatically since I started teaching because shortly after I started teaching, then COVID came around and that dramatically changed everything in education. We went from being in class, doing everything on paper with students to very quickly, rapidly having to adjust to everything being online, to doing Zoom sessions, to doing video lessons, to doing online assignments, to integrating Google Classroom and all of the other educational platforms, figuring out how we we're going to roll them out in our classrooms and to our students. So education has changed dramatically over the time that I've been teaching, going from paper back to being fully remote. And then this year, we were very fortunate where we, or last year, I should say, we were very fortunate where we actually went back for the full school year and just had a few breaks where we had uh, rises in COVID cases where we had to then go remote. So we were doing that asynchronous, all students at home while um, during the school year. But we were fortunate that we were able to come back to primarily paper and pencil and in-class real-time education with our students. But it dramatically changed how education looks for our students in that they have also had to learn all of these new platforms and all of these new systems online and had to really have enough technology available to them so that they could do the things that they had to do in the class. So do you feel like teenagers in high school today are learning as effectively as they were, say, three years ago before COVID, before the massive influx of technology dependence because of COVID? I don't think it's as effective than it was prior. I think it is effective, but I think there are definite deficits in it now in that since we've come back from COVID, every student is bringing in laptops or they're being issued Chromebooks or they're relying on their phones for Google Classroom or other types of communications with their teacher, whether it be Remind 101 or even now we've seen some teachers using Discord mm -hmm. in order to communicate with their students. It's not as effective because relying on this much technology and the students having to use this much technology, they're being torn between being focused on their education and having access to everything around them <laughs> right. that's available online. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought up the school-issued Chromebooks. Now, we kind of are involved in many different school districts. You teach at a different school district than, than some of our children go to. And then we also have some who do private school online at home. So we kind of have kids all over the place. However, what we do know is that these Chromebooks have been a very big thing. Google, I like to call them the most brilliant yet nefarious company out there because they knew exactly how to hook every child onto their platform, onto their programs. And that's by giving schools these Chromebooks. And so schools now issue some schools a Chromebook to every single student. And then some, I mean, some are even giving MacBooks. I have some um, friends in the Dallas area whose kids get MacBooks. And, but let's talk about that. What is the difference, or is there a difference, I should say, between using a school-issued computer or laptop than using a smartphone to do certain programs, whether that be Google Classroom or whether that be different homework assignments? Is there a difference? Because I know some teachers will just ask them to use their phones if they don't have enough computers for every single student. There definitely is a difference between using school-issued devices and the students bringing in their own devices. And 
whenever possible, I think it's best if you let the school issue the devices to your child versus giving them all of the apps on their own phone. Because if it's a school-issued device, it's going to be tied to the school network. It's going to have the school monitoring software on it. It's also going to have all of the necessary filters on it to keep your student focused on their education. Whereas if you put everything on their phone and your student has to get their phone out in order to do their work, well, when I see them from the front of the classroom, I can't tell. Is your child on their phone doing something in Google Classroom or are they on Snapchat trying to keep up their streaks? <laughs> it's very hard to tell the difference as an educator what your child's doing on their phone. And if it's on their phone, then they also have all of the notifications that they get from every other app also distracting their attention mm -hmm. from the work that maybe they do need to do on their device. Really, in my personal opinion, I think it's best if we can keep both the laptops and the phones out of the classroom during that immediate instructional period so your child is most focused on their education versus maybe a Google search on a Chromebook or maybe a uh, message that they got from another student or from their parent on their phones. Right. So if it's best if we can keep it out, but we are definitely seeing a movement towards more technology in the classroom as we move through yeah. this time. So I also want to make a quick note, because if you've listened to the Brave Parenting podcast, you may have heard our one back in, I guess it was March, maybe, when we talked about the 2021 Dirty Dozen list. And Google Chromebooks were on that list because they were not issuing these Google Chromebooks to schools with the ability for schools to or ease, more easily apply these sort of controls. And Google Chromebooks and Google have changed that. Now they are coming already locked down. And so that's a that's a really a big praise because they were really criticized for that. And so that is that's a really great thing that I want to acknowledge that is getting at least a little bit better as far as those Chromebooks yes. coming into the school. And there was also always a difference too, because the Chromebooks when used at the school were on the school network and they could be monitored and protected on the school network. The main issue also came when students were then bringing those same Chromebooks home and putting it on their own personal network where there weren't as many parental code controls. But like you said, Google has really made an effort to improve that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Okay. So we, we know that the kids, teens are using their phones in the classroom sometimes for school. Some teachers will say, hey, get your phones out and do this and the other. And the, but the majority of the time, they're just using it and on it because it's compulsive. They almost can't stop. They need something novel. They need to be entertained because, well, all summer long, maybe we've allowed it. <laughs> so, you know, as, as Christian parents um, who may not love all of this stuff that all these kids are doing in the classroom, um, I guess first, let's say, when we talk about apps like Google Classroom, and I know that we've had kids who've come home and said, I have to have this app, whether it be Google Classroom or something else, on my phone. And you as a parent are kind of saying, hey, you know what? My kid has a smartphone, but we're living differently, right? We're not going to conform to every single app. They have it for communication. You know, we've got all these limits on it and that, that can be good and healthy. Um, what the, can a parent do? Is there anything that they can do to help advocate for their child to not have all of this phone access? Well, part of it is the technology is here to stay and it's here in education to stay. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. There's, there's some aspects where, personally, I don't like Google Classroom. 
I know that my students don't like Google Classroom, and I'm sure many parents out there don't like Google Classroom, and some may, but there are definite benefits to it. it is where at a district level, we're actually required to use Google Classroom in our classrooms, and we're required to post assignments to Google Classroom at least twice a week. So we as educators have to do it. So first and foremost, if parents don't want this technology in the classroom or don't want their students to have to be using this technology in the schools, then you need to talk to your school boards because this is often dictated at the district level and teachers don't have a whole lot of say in it. But there are, even saying that, there are some benefits to Google Classroom. If your student is out, if your child's out because they are sick, or they're out because of COVID, or they're out because you're on a family vacation, and they're missing a few days of school, it's an easy way for them to get caught up and see what they've missed. It's an easy way for you to communicate with the teachers if you need to communicate with the teachers. So there are some benefits to it that are useful. However, it's best if you can limit it to certain devices in certain areas. They may not need Google Classroom on their phone. Maybe it's something that you just log into with them at home on a home computer so that you can see what assignments they're doing. You can see what assignments they've turned in or what their grades are if their grades are posted on Google Classroom. They don't necessarily have to have it installed on their phone. They don't necessarily have to have any of the school apps installed on their phone. And if they do, that's just one more reason why they're getting their phone out during the day. My philosophy in the classroom is I don't like phones out at all. This is partially because I teach math and math is much better done on paper and pencil. The moment you bring that technology out, it becomes a distraction to your, mm -hmm. to your children. So if you can keep the distraction away and you don't require them to use it, it's easier to keep those distractions out of their hands during the class period. So you don't like the phones in your classroom. So how do you, what is your method, your approach to keeping kids off their phones? Well, my method in my classroom is that I provide a charging station for my students so that they can come in and it's a great opportunity for them to charge their phone. This is especially useful later on in the day after kids have run down their batteries a bit where they need a charge. So then they're happy to put their phones up because on the charging station, it gets charged for the full, for the full period. They're not near it. They don't go to it. That's kind of out of sight, out of mind. They're not seeing their notifications. They enjoy having it there. One thing I have seen is my charging station has become more popular as more classrooms are using the phone. Their batteries are running down faster. Mm. So more often students are actually charging in my classroom. For those students who don't want to charge their phones, I make them put it up when they come into the classroom. They have to have it in their bag, turned off where they're not getting notifications or not getting uh, calls or texts or anything else that would be a distraction to them or to anyone else around them. Doesn't always work. Sometimes they do try and get the phones out. When they do get the phones out, then it's just a matter of how can we prevent them from wanting to get their phones out again. So one thing I've done is I will take their phone and I'll wrap it in a sheet of paper <laughs> to protect it. And then I'll wrap it in a half a roll of duct tape and give it back to them at the end of class. That way they've got a nice present. Don't forget, yeah, you put a bow on it. I put a bow on the top so they have a nice present <laughs> at the end of class that they get to unwrap. Uh, as they go to their next class. And that's been useful. I was going to say, and you said that the the kids will often sort of rat on their peers because they want to see, you know, their friend or their peer's phone wrapped in duct tape. Yes. They, it's, they find that enjoyable. They like, self-police very well <laughs> that way because if some they see someone else in the class, either they like and 
is a friend of theirs and they want to see them get their phone wrapped, they'll call them out. Or even if it's someone they don't like and they want to see their phone get wrapped, they'll still call them out. So it's been useful in that students will start to self-police and uh, students know that if they get their phone out, they're risking it being wrapped. Now, others, I know that other teachers handle phones in the classroom different ways. I know that some teachers require that their students have their phones put up in their backpack all class. I know some uh, teachers use phones as collateral for like calculators or in the science classes or other things like uh, workbooks or uh, folders that they pick up at the beginning of the class. They turn their phone in, they get their workbook. At the end of class, they turn their workbook in, they get their phone back. And I know some classes actually allow the students to have their phone out the entire time. And some classes require students to use their phone for better or for worse for assignments during class. Like Spanish. You were saying Spanish. They Yes, I've seen in Spanish where students were required to have their phones out so they could hold conversations in Spanish via text message. <laughs> so what about in general, like not even in your specific classroom, would you say like this is this is a problem with phones in the school? Like what are you seeing even maybe amongst other teachers, the hallways, the lunch period? It's definitely becoming more of a problem in just the environment of education as a whole. Every day I stand outside of my classroom door and I greet the students as they come to my class. And every day I see the students walking down the hallway, all of them staring at their phones as they walk in. When they come into my class and they sit down, they're still on their phones until I come in and they have to put their phones away. They're not engaging in conversation. They're not able to have that downtime where they're thinking about what's coming up, where Mm. they're thinking about their next class, where they're just dealing with boredom and with their own thoughts. Instead, they're always filling it with that next video, that next snap, that next bit of their feed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that in many Brave Parenting workshops and how that affects them mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that lack of of thought processing, um, anticipation of what's coming up. It really hinders their long-term planning, and we wonder why they're, you know, not present uh, and can not do deep work maybe while they're in the classroom. And we as adults struggle with the same exact things. We, I think we too, we, we can't be surprised that our teens are acting like this because there are very many adults who are actually doing the same exact thing in their work environment. Okay, so let's transition a little bit into talking directly to these parents who are raising their kids and discipling them with a biblical worldview. But for one reason or another, they are going to a public school, right? Not everybody can afford private school or has access to maybe a private Christian education. And the public school still can provide, obviously, good education. So we know at the same time that can be a real dangerous environment for kids who do look different. And they're going to come home and they're going to say, you know, I have to have all this stuff or I don't fit in. What would you say, you know, as, a, as an educator looking at these kids and advising these parents? Should they just give in? I mean, what does it look like there in that teenage world of high school and education with smartphones? Well, first and foremost, if parents want their students to look different, limit social media. If not outright, don't give it to them at all. The students who have social media, there's more drama in the classroom. There's more drama at the school. If you can limit it or not allow it at all, that is best. Mainly because when students are on social media, it influences them. It's amazing how often I will see how students dress, how they act, how they behave, and it's always influenced by 
trends that are occurring on social media. If you can't, if you if you've already given your child social media and you don't feel like you can take it back from them, the next best thing you can do is put them in downtime during the school day so it's not a distraction to them. So they're not paying attention to their phone and paying attention to their social media feeds instead of what's going on in the classroom. That they'll be more engaged with their friends if they're not staring at their phone. They'll be more engaged with the lesson if they're not thinking about what's going on on their phone. They will make for better students if at a minimum you limit it during the day where they're in downtime and they can't access it, even if they feel that they are tempted to access it. I think that regarding relationships, that is so, so important. Limiting the social media and if nothing else, putting on downtime. I know years ago, really our second oldest daughter, who's going to be 20 this year, but when she was in high school and she didn't have any of these social media apps, she did feel left out. But then her friends would confide in her and say, you're like the best friend that I have and you're the only friend I can trust. And you listen to me. Well, why was that? Because she had these social skills that no one else had because while everyone else was engaging in social media, she was there looking around, ready and waiting to have a real life conversation with someone. And yes. that's, that's how we yes. spread the gospel. I mean, that's how we really um, not only share the gospel, but just create relationships with people, real, authentic, life-giving relationships. Now, I know a lot of teaching out there in the sort of smartphone, social media world, people like me kind of doing brave parenting, will often teach parents to say, you know, only take the phone away for phone-related issues, consequences, essentially. The phone only gets taken away as a consequence because you did something wrong on the phone. Like, don't use the phone as a collateral or, a, you know, a consequence for something else. But what have you seen in the classroom? I would yes, I would absolutely disagree with that advice. Uh, as a teacher, I love it when parents take phones away from their students due to school-related, grade-related issues. It's amazing to see a a child who lacks motivation to bring their grades up have their phone taken away, and next thing I know, they're coming in at lunch asking for extra help because they want to get their phones back. It is a excellent way to produce better students. If they are not performing to the level you want them to in school, take their phones away. Normally, students do not like to come and talk to their teachers, right. <laughs> but when they don't have a phone and the way of getting it back requires them to talk to their teachers, they're going to do that hard work and they're going to push through that fear to come and talk to us. Yeah, for better or worse. For better or worse, to be That's... able to to improve their grade. And it's from a teacher aspect, we love it when students come to us yeah. for help. I think it's a parent aspect. I think we, too, try and only take away the phones if it's a phone-related consequence. But it is an absolutely a great motivator for kids who are not getting their grades up. I mean, not even passing. Let's just be real. I mean, a lot of the issues isn't like, you're not getting an A. I'm going to take your phone. It's parents are like, you need to pass. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so it's a great motivator in that regard. All right. So parents can limit or completely right, deny access to social media that can benefit them. Also putting them in a sort of downtime or a time where it's the phone is inaccessible during the school day, as well as take phones away when um, is deemed necessary or the child needs that sort of motivation. What else can parents do to really advocate for their kids' education and kind of real life experience in high school? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there as far as advocate. And one of the biggest things that parents can do is 
contact their teachers, be in communication with their teachers, talk to their teachers, let them know if you are limiting your students' access to their phone, tell, tell your teachers, hey, my child does not have access to a camera on their phone. So are you going to be requiring them to turn in work via Google Classroom where they'll have to take a picture? Because if you do, so teachers need to know that so that we know that it's not just your child is not doing their work because they don't want to. It's because they don't have that ability to actually take the picture and turn it in because many students don't like to talk to their teachers. We love it when they want to talk to us and we love having conversations with them. But many don't like to come up and say, hey, I can't do this assignment because I don't have a camera. They feel embarrassed. They feel embarrassed. Yes. So we had that exact situation where our we had a junior who didn't have camera access and would not tell the teacher. And so the teacher then emailed me saying, your child is not turning in any homework. Now, granted, I didn't advocate in that sense and emailing the teacher ahead of time. And so the workarounds, because the teacher would not accept anything but a picture of the math homework, nothing else was very adamant over the email with me. So some teachers are not going to, you know, bend necessarily. But our solution was that I took a picture of his homework with my phone and emailed it to him. Yes. And a lot of that also is dependent on the school district. And again, this goes back to you need to also advocate for your child at the district level. Because I know the school district our children were in had rules limiting the ability of students to turn in paper during COVID, mm-hmm. whereas the school district I work in, we district-wide, we had to provide an alternative method for students to turn in assignments. So we had to create paper copies that could be distributed to children who didn't have access to te- technology in the home. So they could turn in paper copies back to the school. So it really depends on the district on some of those things. So you need to be going to those district board meetings and seeing what's actually going on in your actual uh, district as far as board level. But overall, though, you as a teacher, you want to hear from parents. You're not opposed to hearing from parents? Yes, we like to hear from parents. We like to know what's going on at home in our students' lives. If there's something going on that is causing emotional problems or emotional distress in your child that may also bleed over into school, your child who they may be acting funny in class or there may be something going on in class that we know there's something bigger going on that maybe we can help them address or that we can uh, just look for issues that we might need to tell you about as well that we see in school. So first and foremost, definitely talk talk to your teachers. Let us know what restrictions your students have. If you're taking away phones, let us know that you're taking away phones so that we know your student doesn't have a phone. Great. So what we've learned, what we now know, right, the phones aren't going away. The technology is not going away, right? So it's here to stay. I think you said once that you did a survey of all of your students, like how many do you have, like 100 and... About 150 to 160 students. And 100% had smartphones. Yes. Right. So nationwide, the statistic is 95% of teens, 12 to 17, have smartphones. But in your classroom, it's 100%, right? So we know this and going into it, there's not a whole lot we can do to avoid it, but we can definitely limit what they have access to. We can limit how much time they're going to be on it, advocate for them with the teachers, communicate, really kind of keep them in their education as much as possible by limiting the distracting apps and ability to constantly be notified, all of that. 
Now, I just have to ask, because I think that's an important question, and we as parents, we really wonder, like, does this stuff really go on in the high school setting? Um, I believe the statistic is something like between 75 and 90% of teens, of young people, talk about viewing porn as an everyday, natural, occurring, non-shameful type of activity. I've, I've heard stories of it going on on school buses, um, especially high school events, going to athletic um, competitions and, and those type of different scenarios. But are you seeing stuff like this in the classroom? Are you seeing kids actually watching pornography? I have not personally seen a student or had to correct a student in class or discipline a student in class for watching porn. Only once did I have an incident where a student turned on their phone after a uh, test, and I did let them get their phones out after that so they could listen to music. And he got his phone out, and when he turned it on, music and noises started playing that everyone in the class believed was something that was probably a porn video because all heads shot in his direction, (laughs) and he was quite embarrassed. Uh, That is the only occurrence that I've seen it in the classroom itself. That's actually, that's encouraging. I think it's hopefully encouraging to all parents. And that, you know, just really reminds me that no matter if they're a senior in high school um, or a freshman in high school, I truly believe that the bare minimum, even as they're getting ready to age out of your home and go to college, you need to limit adult and explicit content. That is sort of a bare minimum of websites that you should not be allowing on your child's phone especially, I mean, hands down, as parents who are applying this biblical worldview, um, you know, the word of God says to not even, you know, allow that sort of temptation to even come near you. Um, Among us, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. So, you know, a lot of people are really pushing kids don't need rules and they don't need boundaries and they don't need content control. Got a whole podcast coming up about that. But I really do believe, especially when it comes to their education, there needs to be limits and boundaries. Yes, they will not set limits on their own. I know that my students in my class, if I was to allow them to have their phones out, every one of them would have their phones out. If I allowed them to check their notifications during class, every one of them would check their notifications during class. They don't limit well on their own. Yeah, that's the truth. And they, they too. And we don't either. And so I definitely encourage you to be an example in your home, um, around your children, set yourself up for some downtime in that after-school time period, whether you have, especially if you have elementary-age kids and they're coming home around maybe three or four in the afternoon, and you've only got those couple of hours quality time with them, don't spend it on your phone. Set your own boundaries and tell them that you're setting those boundaries so that they can know that that is a normal part of life. Adults are setting boundaries so that you they can be focused, and give quality time into relationships. That way, when you require that of them, when they get their own phone, they're going into middle school and high school, that they too will know that that is a normal part of life. And that ultimately, education may not be the highest pinnacle goal of everything, but it is very important. Yes. And along with setting those boundaries for yourself, set the boundary that you're not going to contact your child at school (laughs) during class. That's your final wisdom, right? Like, <laughs> Yes, because we've seen that where students will be like, I have to have my phone out because 
My mom is texting me because she's going to be picking me up in 15 minutes. Parents, please don't distract from your child's education and the education of the children around them. Set that stuff up ahead of time so that they're not having to try and have a conversation with you during class. Or they'll tell me, I have to get my phone out, by, or I got my phone out because my parent texted me that they're here to pick me up. That's all well and good. I'm still not going to let you leave class until I get the phone call from the office <laughs> saying that you can leave class. So you don't need to be texting your child during class. Please. You know, that requires our self-control. Because that's a, a sort of a lifestyle thing that we've all gotten used to, where you get somewhere and you text someone, I'm here. And so we as adults really need to think about all of those actions that we now um, do subconsciously and think, is this actually the best thing? Can I exercise some self-control, not text my child something that I think is funny or really important? Wait till lunchtime. If you really need to text your child, know their schedule, know when they eat lunch, and text them during lunch. I think that's some pretty sound wisdom. Yes. <laughs> well, awesome. I hope that this um, information and hearing from Ryan, who is in direct contact with our teenagers in high school and dealing with all of this education and technology together, has been beneficial and helped you as you get ready to send your kids off to school. I want to thank Ryan for spending this time with me here today recording. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It was fun. Yes. Very fun to record a podcast together. Now you can have the joy of editing it before we release it. Yes. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us and listening. Share with your friends who are also raising their children with a biblical worldview, especially if they're sending their kids into public school. Until next time, go and be brave.